This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. I'm not having an orgasm doing vaginal sex like there's something wrong with me instead of saying like no there's nothing wrong with me it's just this is not working for me and that's perfectly fine that's normal let's not freak out so this autopilot thing is really doing a disservice for a lot of us that is holding you back from actually expanding your understanding of sex Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bedside Podcast. Today, I'm in conversation with Cecile Gasnault, who is the brand director at Smile Makers, a sexual wellness company comprised of pleasure products, educational content, and erotic entertainment, inviting vulva owners to joyfully approach their sexuality on their own terms. You may be familiar with Smile Makers already, with their products circulating the lakes of Goop, Urban Outfitters, Saks, Bloomingdale's, and many more. On the show today, Cecile shares with Bedside her outlook on living a pleasure-filled life. We get into talking about her role at Smile Makers, her own sexual journey growing up in France, and what led her to the work she does today how we can really begin to expand our definitions of pleasure, and the importance of sex and masturbation for our holistic health. Cecile also gets really granular on how to introduce things like toys into the bedroom with partners, fantasies, and just some really great tips and routines for spicing things up in the bedroom. Smile Makers is also offering bedside listeners a little surprise when you order at checkout, so be sure to check out the show notes below for a little treat, if you so please. All right, guys, this was such a fun conversation, so let's get into it. Cecile, I'm so excited to have you on the Bedside Podcast today. I can't wait to just hear more about the brand that you're working with and just really have such a good conversation centered around pleasure and just how we can carve out space for ourselves and all the different ways we can do so. So with that said, I guess I would just love to kick off and really know more about you and your cultural upbringing and where you came from and just tell us a little bit about that. Thanks, Tatiana, for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation as well. I find it actually to be quite a hard question to answer because it's so hard to reflect on your own story. So I was born and raised in France, in Paris. And I would say that in France, there is a cultural background, which is Catholic. So you have Catholic culture playing in the background because it was a historically Catholic country, which I do think influences a lot the way we look at sexuality. 
But at the same time, it's quite a progressive place. And I was in Paris, which is definitely a place where there's a lot of progressive social trends playing out. And when it comes to my own family, what I find interesting is that with when it comes to my parents, they are progressive, but they're not outspoken about that. That means we don't talk about sex openly, but they've never sent me the message that there is something wrong with sex or that is something bad about it. It's more like it's there, it's part of life, there's nothing wrong about it. But somehow there's this cloud of stigma around it. And I do remember when I was little hearing grandparents having negative messages about sex, like that there's something bad about sex. But, you know, it's easier to like put this aside because you kind of always feel that, you know, maybe grandparents have their ideas and it's a bit outdated. So you might be a bit less influenced by that. But I would say the way that has a bit shaped the way that I looked at sex as a younger person was, oh, there's this thing that seems to be quite important and normal. But at the same time, for some reason, we cannot really speak openly about it. And I would say even like growing up, so as a teenager at school or with friends, I found it growingly intriguing why there's this whole drama playing out around the topic of sex, right? There's this notion that it's not bad, it's, but it's not good. You have, there's a power play around it. And specifically for women, even if I never had the impression there's something wrong about having sex, I really remember having this impression that there's something risky about it that it's going to put you in some sort of danger, not necessarily physical danger, but the way people are going to perceive you depending on how you navigate your sexuality is dangerous and you do not control it in a way that deprives you of your control over your sexuality and puts that in the hands of other people. That was really my impression that, okay, why all the drama and how come specifically for women we cannot... Whatever we do, there's going to be a negative judgment about it. You know, there's this Madonna whole complex playing out all the time. You're too good or you're too provocative. I find what you're saying is so great because you're really insinuating how we have to specifically when it comes to women's sexuality, you are at risk for how you're going to be perceived and you have to play your cards well. There's kind of this like, how are you going to play your cards when you decide to sexually emerge, if you will, when, especially during your coming of age? And in a way that kind of like takes the narrative away from your own control and says that you have little control about how you can navigate your sexuality and that you're not really in charge of it. And especially for Volvo, it's this idea that we're here to receive pleasure from partners, that our sexuality has a social role, which is reproduction, which puts pleasure in the background and makes it a lot less important. So yes, that's the narrative that really strikes me when I reflect back about what is the story that I had about sex growing up was that it's something that is normal and beautiful, but at the same time, there's so much drama and power play and control over owners' bodies that is playing out around sex that I found it very mind-boggling, actually. Like, how did we come to that state? How come things are like that? Mm. What did the sex education look like for you in France? 
from what I recall, it's not really sex education. It's like reproductive health and sexual health. And the reason why I make that difference, to me, reproductive health is about how do you get pregnant? So how does everything happen so that you can understand your cycle, which is so important and great that we have that kind of education. And then there's the whole sexual health part, which is more about how do you keep safe from a health perspective when you engage sexually, so STIs and learning about condoms and all that. But there was nothing about pleasure or consent or even, like I would say, the the history of sex, the social aspects of sex. There was nothing about gender identity. There was nothing about sexual preferences. So I would have had sex ed in the 90s. So at that point, there were already a lot of, at least where I was growing up, conversation about sexual orientations, but not so much about gender identity. I feel that this is a conversation that is growing now, even though it has always been around, but it was not so much openly talked about. So there was nothing about those topics. I'm always intrigued to hear kind of what it's like in other countries Because even from what you're saying, it's not so different from what we have here in the U.S., where when you distinguish the difference between sex ed and then reproductive health, that's a great distinction. Because for me, I also just had maybe a class or two around reproductive health, but it didn't cover many of the bases that you just mentioned. So jumping a little bit ahead, you are the brand director at Smile Makers, and you are just such a part of a great mission, a great company. And I would really love to hear how you got started in the pleasure industry. I'm curious about little Cecile being in high school and going through her reproductive health and navigating the power dynamics of sex and sort of how you ended up where you are today. In high school, that's not where I thought I would end up, (laughs) to be very clear. But I'm pretty sure that high school Cecile would be pretty proud of like current Cecile doing sexual wellness as a job because it's very exciting and it's definitely a very rewarding space to be working in. Like I said, I always had this impression that there was something that did not make sense in the way that we are allowed to talk and engage on the topic of sex. Like there was this disconnect between how important and universal the topic of sex is for everyone And that's part of our literally the way our body functions. And the fact that like society did not have a relaxed and healthy and educated conversation about sex as you would for any other wellness topic. If you talk about nutrition, sports, sleep, uh, mental health, we are a lot more able to look at this and talk about what we eat or how we exercise or how we take care of our health if we fall sick. There's like this stigma around sex. And to me, it really did not make sense. So I had been working for a while, more in like digital innovations. So I was working on very exciting projects around smart energy and e-health then e-commerce. And I had this opportunity to join a project. And funny enough, I had never owned a vibrator before working on the Smile Makers project. That was like something that I had never even had for myself, but I found the mission of changing the way we perceive the topic of vulnerable sexuality and sex and pleasure so important and so exciting 
that I really wanted to be a part of it. And I thought that there were a lot of things that we could do. Like the idea was looking at sexual wellness as a normal wellness topic. Like all the ones that I've mentioned, like sleep and nutrition and sports and applying the same quality design standards as you would for any other wellness products, bringing them in the same stores as you would find your other wellness products, bringing the conversation in public spaces, mainstream media, the same way you do for other wellness products so that ultimately you change the way people perceive the topic. It's like, it is part of everyday life. So we can talk about it as openly as we do everything else. But starting to do it by really bringing proofs of it, that it is part of our everyday life, instead of just making a statement that it is part of our everyday life. And it's been very challenging to bring the category in mainstream retail. Uh, So we started out 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, like things were very different from where they are today. There were a lot of resistance from retailers, from media, from content creators to touch the topic. And to take the risk, like when I said earlier, like this fear that the way people are going to judge us if we talk about sex or if we engage sexually with other people. So like opening those doors really took us a long time, but things are really like changing fast now. And we're really seeing a lot more retailers, a lot more journalists, a lot more content creators being like, yes, that's an important topic. We should have it on our shelves, on our magazines, on my Instagram feed, because it's something that is important and is important for people that do want to be able to talk about it. It validates the fact that it is a normal part of life instead of shaming them. Absolutely. I love that your strategy about marketing the product is really about bringing it into mainstream media as if it's no different than any other topic of wellness in any other category. And it's just so great to hear that was one of your ways to go into destigmatizing. I'm curious about your products and really what gap that you were looking to fill with the toys that you make at Smile Makers. What was that main priority? Because you have so many toys and you have such a great array of product, which I'm sure has been built over time, of course, but I'd really love to hear about really the objective that you were seeking for the customer with your product. So at the very beginning, when we launched the brand, what we realized was that first, there were already a lot of Volvo owners using vibrators like more than one out of two in the US, for example, in the early 2010s, people were using vibrators quite a lot. But even more interestingly, two-thirds of non-users were curious to try. And one of the main roadblocks to them trying out vibrators was the shopping experience and the products on the shelves. So the shopping experience at the time was to an extent stigmatizing because you had to walk into a sex shop or go on certain shops online And in a way that felt like, oh, I cannot find this with my hair conditioner because it's a product that I'm a bit embarrassed to buy. Like the shopping experience was not empowering in itself. And the designs of the products or the quality of the products was often quite poor. And the designs were very repetitive and really, you know, black and purple and electric pink. Like there was not a very broad understanding of what sex can look like. And we wanted to shake things up. So we wanted to address this really big pool of people 
who wanted to use vibrators, but were not able to find a product that actually looked like what they would like a vibrator to look like, like something that is fun and nice and pleasant and chic. Like why can't sex be something that is chic and elegant and beautiful? Because it is a beautiful human experience. So why can't the product look beautiful as well? So that's that gap that we wanted to address first by really creating a range of products. Vova owners curious to try vibrator. We call them Vicurious. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Vicurious. Yeah. So our Vicurious, and we actually call it that, like our Vicurious collection, which is the original collection that has five vibrators. It caters for different types of preferences. So we have internal products, external products, and for both internal and external stimulation, we have different types of shapes to really address the fact that people have different pleasure preferences. So the original plan was reframe the way vibrators are created to make them very colorful and very joyful and very relatable. So the names, for example, we surveyed thousands of our owners around the world about their fantasies, and we kept the most popular fantasies to name the products after. So we have the firefighter, the tennis pro, the French lover, the surfer. And the idea was to use fun names, so to use humor to break the ice, but also to make the products relatable instead of using techie names that makes the product sounds more like a device than an experience. Yes, love that. So the idea was to have a story and to say it is named after Volva Owner's Fantasies. So it validates first the fact that Volva owners have fantasies and that we create products for that to really celebrate our Volva owners' sexuality. Oh my God. So that was what we were trying to do when we launched the brand. That's such a fun idea. And I think, again, like tying back to this narrative of bringing back kind of this playfulness in this realistic, chic way of talking about sex instead of it feeling so under the gaze of what the male gaze of what sexuality should be for females. So I really, or vulva owners, if you will. So I really love that. I do have a question for you because you said that you hadn't used a vibrator since before working at Smile Makers. So was your first experience with a vibrator your own product? Yes, it was. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I guess too, you know, this leads into a really interesting conversation around masturbation as well, because I know so many people get uncomfortable even bringing up the conversation of masturbation. I even remember as we're talking about what your own coming of age was like, I remember that was such a topic that just felt like it wasn't even allowed to be talked about or brought up, especially for young women during adolescence. It's known that, of course, male-bodied individuals have to masturbate because that's just how they are. And female-bodied individuals have a much more refined way of presenting their sexuality and kind of have to balance this really fine line of that risk we were talking about earlier. So I really would love to hear about your agenda with normalizing masturbation. And you can even tie in your own experience here, even your own learning curve with that, you know? Yes. So I remember very few conversations during adolescence about masturbation. So it was always with other female friends. So there were no conversations between genders about female masturbation. Like you said, like people absolutely would talk about masturbation in a way that felt a lot like performance driven, almost like they had to say. And there is a lot of pressure on them as well about how they have to live their sexuality. And for female-bodied people, it was more like very toned down, barely talked about. What's funny is that I remember 
the one thing that kept coming up later in life, I guess, uh, when we became sexually active was that a lot of my friends would admit that they would get more pleasure masturbating than with a partner. And we come back to that because I think there are a lot of bridges that need to happen between masturbation and partner sex to make partner sex more exciting. And that's one of the things that if we had proper sex education, we would know about. When it comes to talking about masturbation, that's definitely something very challenging that we've had to do at Smilemakers, for example, to normalize a conversation on masturbation. And the good place to start is to bring awareness on several documented facts, like really starting with things that are factual and that are, you know, you have studies to back it up. First, the majority of people masturbate, and that's true for vulva owners as well. It is by essence consensual. So there is nothing deviant or shameful or wrong about it, and it's very widespread. And second is the fact that you have a lot of scientific studies documented the mental and physical health benefits of experiencing sexual pleasure, including through masturbation. And those are things like I'm sure you've read about how it can help with menstrual cramp, it can help with sleep quality, stress release. So it can counteract the negative impact of stress as well. It can lead to reduced risk of certain types of cancers or diabetes, boosting the immune system. So it is a wellness practice in essence. And what we found very interestingly in our communication was that when we are trying to be vague, and because we have those funny names for our product, like the French lover and all that, we can use a lot of metaphors. And we were doing that a lot at the beginning because we didn't want to shock retailers or shock consumers. So we were playing with metaphors around products and people were not engaging that much with the content. They would say, oh, it's cute. It's funny. But that was it. And when we started being a lot more direct and clear, but still very like, I would say chill and relaxed and respectful and talking in a way that is really clearly informed and educated, but talking clearly about orgasm, clitoris, like really the reality of it, people engaged a lot more in a positive manner because we were talking to them as adults and we were talking about sex as any other topics in a way that was completely drama-free and kind of like leading by example, saying that's how we can talk about sex, just very normally like you would for any other topic. It doesn't mean that when you do that in real life, there's not some awkward laughs the first two minutes, but it actually dies down very quickly. And I've done a lot of events before COVID, obviously, but in real life with our products and what was fun is that every time it's the scenario that plays out, like someone approaches the booth, they look at the products, they understand what it is, they crack up a smile because of the name and all that. And then they start asking one or two questions and they're still a bit embarrassed. And then something flips and I talk about them, but yeah, yeah, sexual wellness is really important because this, that, that. And then the gates open and they will share so much things about their own experience because You've made them comfortable. Humor breaks the ice. And then talking about it then in a way that is clear and direct just proves the point that this is a normal topic. Let's talk about it normally. Yes, I love that so much. And it just made me think about many people don't have or think of sex because of the amount of shame that's put on it culturally. And the way that you break the ice with these conversations, I wonder if you're almost 
having people and piquing their interest around what sexual wellness can mean to them. Because I find when you're speaking to someone who doesn't work in this industry or who isn't involved around this sort of stuff quite yet, that a lot of people are on autopilot around what their sex lives should look like or around how they are expressing themselves sexually. And then when you can open the doors to the conversation in what you're coining as this really approachable and to the point and factual yet very comfortable way, it allows people to become more intentional about what their sexual wellness routines are and what that can mean for them. What we hope to do with the brand is to invite self-reflection, right, around what is sexual wellness. I love that how you said that we're kind of on autopilot when it comes to our sex life because that is so true. And we have a way to put that as smile makers is that we are given a script when we are born about this is how you do sex. And by default, you're going to be heterosexual, you're going to be cisgender, and you're going to have sex by engaging in penetrative sex and you're going to do sexual acts in that order and it's going to be called foreplay and then sex and when you say you've had sex you mean you have penetrative sex and you have sex for orgasm if you don't have an orgasm you failed at sex so it's making sex very performance driven and that's the narrative that we're given and that we can just put ourselves on autopilot and navigate sex like that but since it doesn't work for anyone to just do that because it's a very personal experience We all end up feeling at some point inadequate or like there's something wrong with us. I can't tell you how many people send us messages saying, oh, I can't have an orgasm with my partner. Is something wrong with me. I have pain during sex. Is something wrong with me? And we're like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like first having an orgasm during penetrative sex, which is most often what they mean when they say they can't have an orgasm with their partner, is extremely frequent because anatomically speaking it's not how our pleasure anatomy is the best wired for like we experience a lot more pleasure through external stimulation and we're not educated on that so when we end up actually engaging in sex and in the case of someone engaging as a bulb owner in penetrative sex they might be like oh i'm not having an orgasm during vaginal sex like there's something wrong with me instead of saying like No, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just, this is not working for me and that's perfectly fine. Like that's normal. Let's not freak out. So this autopilot thing is really doing a disservice for a lot of us. And definitely like when people engage with the brand, we do want to invite them in that reflection around what is pleasure for you? What do you feel pleasurable? What are limiting beliefs that you might have inherited from family or from pop culture or from any representation of sex that you have been exposed to that is holding you back from actually expanding your understanding of sex and exploring your body and exploring your preferences. And by doing that, validating what you actually like so that you can share that with your partner so that you can do that when you are masturbating so that you can really take complete charge and control of your sexuality and leave it on your own terms. I love that and I think what I love so much about your class and selection of toys as well is when I've looked at them and there are some products where I'm like oh how does that work? You know, they have kind of a funny shape or a fan thing on them. And so I think it lends itself really well to that curiosity and that way that you can expand your mind around, well, how does this work outside of what 
I've known everything to be, what I've known pleasure and what it's been sold to me as. And then you see this selection of products where you kind of get to say, oh, how could I use this part of the toy? Or how could I use this part of the toy to engage in something else? And so I just want to compliment what Smile Makers has done. It's really such a great class and selection of product that speaks to the diversity of pleasure. Thank you. And to add on to that, all the toys, obviously, they are about physical stimulation. But I love when I do sex ed workshops to also invite people to think about sex as it doesn't have to be about genital stimulation. It doesn't have to be about physical stimulation, like reading erotica, writing erotica, sharing a fantasy with your partner, sexting, all these things that are not physical, they are sexual activities. And having this much broader understanding of what sex is, it expands how you can express yourself sexually. And it's very exciting. And this is really something I wish I had learned in sex ed, because I think I would have felt a lot more empowered in my sexuality early on and... That's why we've built up that sex ed program called Volva Talks at Smile because we really want to expose a lot more people to pleasure positive sex education so that they can really like decide for themselves what's the narrative that they want to navigate from for their sex life. Yes. Oh, yes. And you also brought up a really interesting point a moment ago when you spoke about bringing in pleasure products with a partner as well. And I think I would love to hear more about that from you because I think a lot of people understand masturbation as a solo experience. And especially when we're bringing in toys, it can be intimidating. It can be very vulnerable. You never really know how somebody's going to react. So I would really love to hear your philosophy around bringing toys into the bedroom with a partner? That's a great question. First of all, we've done a survey at the end of 2020 and we surveyed 7,000 women in seven countries, including the US. We found that partnered people use more sex toys than single people. Wow, that's so interesting. I think there's this preconceived idea that it's more something, an accessory for people who are not partnered, but it's actually an access that is broadly used by partnered people. And we do often get the question about how do I break kids to my partner that I'd like to use a sex toy with them? And when we work with sexologists, their advice, which I think is a really great piece of advice, is to involve the partner in the decision maybe of buying a sex toy together so that it becomes not only less intimidating because it's not, oh, this is what I use. Let's just do that together. But more like, oh, I'd like to do that with you. Let's maybe pick one that we both like and that we buy together and you make the whole decision process, the whole purchasing process, like a sexual experience in itself with your partner. And it's not just about the moment where you're going to use it, but it's the conversation about using one because it's a way to open up about things that you want to explore with them. And there's a way to frame it as, oh, there's, I don't like sex with you. I want to use a sex toy. It's that I love sex with you. And what I love about it is how we explore each other's preferences and how we try out new things. This is something I'd like to do with you. What do you think? And then like really inviting them on board and making sure that this is a common and shared decision instead of you pushing on a preference onto them, which really ties back to the notion of consent. This is something that should always be part of the dynamics in the way you engage with your partner. And we think about consent in a very limiting way. 
that is also how consent plays out. Mm, to me, it has a tone of co-creation. You're going to go co-create the experience together. And I love that you brought that up because I was thinking when I was asking that question, well, I've got some sex toys, which I really love, but they're so for me that I don't want to bring them into another experience with someone else. It feels like that is my own experience. So I really love that you are broadening the horizons of being able to co-create with somebody and really evolve that relationship from there instead of just saying, well, this is what I use when we're not together. So yeah, I, I like that as an option. You know, Of course, you can bring in your own toys too. So I wonder how and what your thoughts are on how we can begin to diversify our pleasure. Because going back to the idea of being on autopilot, I think once we figure out a formula to orgasming per se, we tend to stick to it. And so I really would like to hear more about what the diversification of pleasure can look like and ways that we can explore that more. I think first going back on the autopilot thing, reflecting on what can be your limiting beliefs around sex can help you take that first step to diversify your pleasure. Or even like just realizing, oh, I always do the same thing to reach an orgasm. Why do I need to always be chasing orgasm? Like I'm, I could maybe experience sex in a way that is being focused on pleasure and forgetting about orgasm. So really like say, oh, what if I change that? What if I remove this belief? What if I try to look at things a bit differently? So having this self-reflection, I think is a very good first step to open the door to a more diversified experience of pleasure. Second, I would say, is to get curious and not necessarily directly through experimentation, but okay, what's out there? So checking out sex-positive accounts on social media. Now, there are so many great sex-positive accounts that are amplifying real people's stories so that you can really be exposed to the breadth of people's experiences and you might find something that inspires you. And the, oh, that might like, trigger a reaction and you're like, oh, I've always thought that this was not for me, but maybe I could try that because the way that this person is doing it, I can relate to it and it makes me more curious to try. So basically updating your sex education in a way that broadens your and deepens your understanding of what sex can be and therefore what sex can be for you. And then going more into like exploration on your own or with a partner. So it can be, for example experimenting with different types of stimulation. So let's say that you really enjoy external stimulation on the vulva, but you're always going to use a very focused stimulation on the clitoral glands. What about trying a broader type of stimulation where you not only massage the clitoral glands, so the part of the clitoris that's really like this little knob visible on the vulva, but you also I don't know, for example, you tickle the labia around or you do little circles around the vaginal entrance, which is a very sensitive spot. And you can do that by breathing very slowly and see how the sensations feel like. To really get curious and experimenting with sensations, looking at other areas of your body that you might find very erogenous for you. So looking beyond the genital area or the very classic, if I might put it that way, erogenous zones that would be the lips and the breasts and nipples for female-bodied people, looking at how does it feel in the on the arms or uh, the lower back or the thigh or like any random place that might actually be very sensitive for you in a way that is erotic. Again, like we mentioned the fact that sex doesn't have to be a physical activity. Have you ever tried writing down a fantasy that you have how does that feel? Maybe 
change the way that you feel about yourself might make you feel more empowered or more excited about certain things. So to really change and experiment little things doesn't have to be going to a swingers party. You can really take baby steps, but really like changing the way that you looked at your script and being like, oh, I'm going to change that today. Or maybe I'm going to be very mindful today about the smells in my bedroom. So I'm going to put on, I don't know, candles or essential oils that I find very central. And I'm going to be really taking in this and being very choiceful and mindful about how my environment is like, because the cliche vision we have around the sexual setting for a bedroom will be, okay, nice lingerie and maybe a very specific type of music, but maybe there's a very different type of music that you find central and that works for you. So to look a bit at how you can stimulate all your senses in a way that works for you. Yeah, I think that's really awesome insight and tips for people to explore around. It made me think about how one time I went to an event and they had us collage our fantasies. And so there was a bunch of magazines and I ended up making this whole fantasy on collage with French Riviera and hanging out by the pool. And it was really fun to experiment in that sense too. So even with your creativity and your creative outlets, I think... I encourage everybody to figure out the different ways that they can just engage with those senses, as you say. And to keep in mind that our preferences, they are valid. It's not because it's not what we see on screen, on TV, or what our friends say that they like, that it makes them any less valid. So if for you, what gets you excited is, I don't know, the smell of raspberries and rap music and like all the lights on then that's it go for it like validate the fact that this is what gets your king on yeah I love that (laughs) (laughs) so I would love to hear from you about what your own sexual wellness routine looks like if you have one you know how do you stay on top of your sexual health how do you engage with pleasure every day what does that look like for you So I don't really have a routine, a sexual wellness routine. I do find that there are little hacks that I use in my everyday life and that have a positive impact on my sexual wellness. I find that, for example, breathing exercises and mindfulness practices have a positive impact on the experience of pleasure because obviously they are very useful to ground yourself in your sensations and your body and therefore feeling them more in a way that oh yes, I'm really feeling that touch on my arm or in my neck and really like taking in all the sensuality that I experience from that touch. I find that harnessing the power of the brain can be very impactful as well. And by that, I mean, we often encourage when it comes to sex and to reach orgasms, to let go, which I always find to be the most frustrating advice one can ever give (laughs) because it's like, don't think about a white bear. What am I going to think about? I'm going to think about a white bear. So if you tell me to let go, I'm not going to let go anything, right? And it's a stressful injunction. But the fact is that our brain is on when we are engaging sexually, then let's use it as an organ to stimulate in itself. Like it is a powerful organ when it comes to our sexual experiences and We can use it to anchor ourselves in the situation, look at the situation and maybe, I don't know, tell ourselves uh, erotic things about the situation, like getting excited about what's going on and having our brain engaged with the situation. 
it's not letting go. It, on the contrary, it's really like anchoring the situation with the brand and being really in it, using the brand to be really in the experience. And I would say getting curious about how we engage our different senses in our sexuality. So obviously touch is the main sense that gets engaged sexually because the skin is the bigger organs that we have on our body. And it is the one that is getting stimulated directly through physical stimulation. But realizing that sight, smell, hearing, we can play with as well. And that, again, sex doesn't have to be just a physical activity, that it can take many forms. I found it to be quite life-changing and very exciting because it literally puts sex a bit in everyday life in little moments in a way that is not embarrassing at all. It's exciting and makes it so much more approachable, fun, relatable, and not that thing that you only have in certain spaces and you don't talk about it too much in a box and speak too openly about it. Acknowledging the fact that, I don't know, you might be riding the bus and suddenly finding someone very attractive and saying, oh, this is... A moment where I'm sexually engaged with myself. And that doesn't mean that anything is going to happen in that bus. But acknowledging how we are sexual bodies and how that weaves into our everyday life in a way that is exciting and nice. I find it very um, life-changing to look at things this way because it's very different from what we are told against this very boxed-in vision of what sex is. Yeah, I like that you use the word exciting because it makes you feel like your day-to-day interactions can kind of have charges to them, like they have that stimulation. And I think that's just a really lovely approach. And I'm so happy that you shared that with us because I hope that can encourage us to think of it outside the box. When you were explaining what the confines of what sex can be otherwise if you're not engaging with it like that it made me kind of stiffen up and think of it like this hard rule or this only one setting that you can engage with in the bedroom at a certain time because that's when it's most appropriate and so I think expanding that and allowing yourself really giving yourself the freedom to explore life in a much more curious and open and exciting way can be really fun And if you look at sexual energy, it's an energy. So if you look at it this way, it's like, oh, I have this energy in me. I can channel it to enhance what can be a boring experience into something that's a bit more exciting. Doesn't mean that you're going to engage sexually with a stranger on the bus. Right, right. Of course. I really do think Europeans do this a lot better than people in the United States. But I think this is really a way to engage with your sexual energy your life force energy as you age, right? Because another stigma that I think that we all know really is prevalent is that a stigma being that sex is youthful, that it is something that when you age, you don't have as much of it. And I think when you can begin to reframe the context of what that sexual energy and where that can play out, that's ageless. That's forever. That is always within you. That is so true. That's such a great point. Yeah. Okay. My other question for you is what is currently on your bedside table? One of our products, uh, the ballerina. I really like having a bedroom that smells nice to me. That's whatever the context, sleep, relaxation, intimacy. I think the sense of smell is something very powerful. So I have candles, I have interior perfume, and obviously some books. Mm, I love that. (laughs) And yeah, I guess as we're kind of wrapping up here, I'd love to know what you have to share with listeners really about your idea of what pleasure means to you 
and just how we can begin to explore that more? I think that's the hardest questions to answer because it's so hard to put in words. I think our society focuses most of our time and energy on performance, like physical performance, intellectual performance, social performance. And it's something that is externally assessed, right? People are going to assess your performance. And to me, pleasure is the exact opposite of that. Only us ourselves can experience pleasure for ourselves, right? I cannot know what pleasure feels for you. So it's something that is unique to us. It can be different every time. So it's a moment where we're completely connected with our body in the present moment. And pleasure is pointless in the sense that it is not bound to an output. Like it's not results driven. It exists for and by itself as a very delicious escape, I would say. So I guess to me, that's what it is. Pleasure is like this delicious escape that exists for me and just for me in the moment. And that doesn't mean that it cannot be a shared experience, but it's not something where I'm going to be engaging in some sort of performance or trying to drive a certain type of results. And that's where I see the difference that orgasm are a form of pleasure, but they're just a form of pleasure. There are a lot more forms of pleasure when it comes to sexual pleasure or pleasure in general. And pleasure in itself is this moment of where you can be not bound by the necessity to drive a certain type of result and you're just escaping. That was so beautifully said. I've never heard it put like that. I think that's a great <laughs> point to end their conversation. So Cecile, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And would you please share with us where we can connect with you online, where we can buy and purchase and engage with the Smile Makers brand? Tell us where we can find all of that. So on social media, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smile Makers Collection. And our website is smilemakerscollection.com. You can also find our products at Free People, Group, Urban Outfitters, Anthropology, Involve, Saks Avenue, Blooming There's just to name a few in the US and in other stores around the world. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Tatiana. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Yes, of course. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to The Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening. Don't cry.